episode 21 of Talking Torah, the one where Rob comes back from Turin with a t-shirt for me and a single point against Empoli. Take it away, Robert. How was it? A good time? I mean, we, we, we may look at it as a single point against Empoli, but I like to think of the positives and I don't know which is the more surprising uh, result of the weekend, Torino scoring injury time or or Port Vale getting not just one, but two penalties. Yeah, missing um, the first one. But yeah. they, they they got the important one. They got they got the three points, which unfortunately Torino were unable to do. But I thought it... I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the game, which um, obviously from, from being there um, myself, and it's been so, so long since I've been to a game, even I think the last game I'd been to, and the last two games I've been to, uh, at the Grande Torino were evening kickoff, so sort of nice to have a, a sort of game during the day where still you sort of go to the ground early and then you still got the rest of rest of your day afterwards. Not a huge fan of the the twelve thirty kickoff or eleven thirty UK time, but it worked okay um, in terms of that it still enables you to have the rest of of the day to explore the city. But the um, yeah, atmosphere was good, even though the, the weather was, was pretty shocking. I thought, I thought I'd been pretty uh, lucky with the um, forecasts, uh, but obviously I brought the English weather with me, and yeah, the uh, the skies opened. And I think first half, again, not sure on your thoughts watching on TV, but I thought we were, we played well. Probably should have been at least two or three goals up. You had the, I'd say the um, first Morantic offside goal was unlucky to be disallowed because I've watched it back and there's 20 seconds between um, Sanabria being offside and Moranchik actually scoring where where do you where do you sort of where does the cutoff come I think it's they talk referees talk about phases of play I think if it had an Empoli player touch the ball or had a, a partial clearance and then Torino had scored I think we probably would have the goal would have counted um, the second Sanabria goal was I think they needed VAR for that. Um, and yeah, a, a bit of a reprieve from Sanabria. Probably should have realised that it may not be the result I wanted as we were getting a, a striker sent off within 10 minutes. But he, he may be the the, the luckiest. Uh, he may be the, the poster boy for VAR uh, in this game, seeing as he was involved in all the incidents. Um, but yeah, I thought there were two or three chances first half where probably should have scored but going into the break I wasn't disappointed with not taking the lead but I wasn't I was still expecting that we'd win win the game was that how it sort of came across on TV I mean I I think the headline is if you can't beat that Empoli team who you were ever going to beat they were I thought they were atrocious I thought their mentality was atrocious I thought they uh, they couldn't string two passes together the first half you could even tell in the interviews Zanetti did afterwards that they're so, I mean, even conceding, they weren't even disappointed to concede a last-minute equaliser because they, they realised it was a, uh, it was a bit like the, yeah, it was, it was uh, a bit of a theft to say the least. But um, yeah, I think watching it, I thought we, it reminded me a lot of the Sassuolo game last year at home, except you know we didn't get the goal and it wasn't. But there was a sense of inevitability. I think I texted you at half time. It was just like it, they are going to get a chance and. Um, yeah, and as we know, Torino aren't very good respond uh, scoring late goals, kind of growing into games, uh, responding to, to to being goal down. I mean, just to answer your question, the first half you have dominated. Vlasic uh, had a few good chances as well. I think yeah, the Moran took offside. 
I always felt the Moranjikov side is one of those ones I decided to look for. It's like, okay, we've 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 bothered to stop this and check. We're, we're going to go back until we find something. Um, and again, against Zanetti team last year at Venezia, they invented that offside in the in the last in a Bellotti's goal late on. I've mentioned him again. Um, no, we've already deserved to win that match. Uh, I, felt, I, but... I do. I felt if the Morenchik goals had scored or one of the numerous chances first half, maybe even for first ten minutes, we probably had three chances. I think it would have been would have three, been. I think three or four. I think, I think your prediction of three nil had the Morenchik one um, being allowed to stand. That probably you know probably, probably would have been a very good prediction. As it was, uh, the kind of narrative of the game flipped. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the other things, second half, Marco Piazza was gave a real Torino level performance. He was invisible. He was absolutely atrocious, I thought as well. But I, I'll be honest, I didn't even realise he was playing. <laughs> well, there you go. Did he biggest... play the whole game. <laughs> he came. No, he, they made oh. a double sub at half time. Oh, so, de- yeah, so... Des- 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 how many beers did you have before the uh, match? Well, I'd only had, I'd only had one, but <laughs> I, um, I knew I knew Destro would come on. But um, he was in the queue at the at the beer stand. But he. Um, um, no, I had absolutely no idea that Piazza would come on. Well, no, he, he, uh, maybe you have to go back and check the stats. Maybe I imagined it, but I'm pretty sure he came on at half time and did absolutely nothing. Uh, Destro, I mean, that's the fittest I've seen him look in many a year. It might be yep. the, where it's the where it's the blue kit, but I uh, think uh, how quickly he ran off to celebrate the goal um, was probably the quickest he's moved in about ten years as well. well um, I mean. Uh, what that, do we what do we feel about the whole bench? I know it was a good goal, and we'll, we'll get on to maybe who was at fault from a Torino perspective shortly. But those sort of celebrations, I feel, are, are maybe reserved for goals in the 89th, 90th minute, not in the forty seventh minute. Yeah, I didn't. I was so annoyed with the goal, and not even sure I kind of focused on the celebrations. But I mean, it was all in slow motion, wasn't it? it you, from the moment the cross was coming in, there's one thing this guy can do with this. Yeah. He's probably going to try and do it. It's Mattia Destro. I, I actually think he's had a... I, he's a pretty decent kind of number nine in in, in, in some ways. It's probably a good pickup for him, probably. But you know what he's going to try and do? And if he executes it, you can see where... The, for, for me, I mean, does... I think another goalkeeper... It's just going to dive in a more, in a faster, more graceful way. Whether they're going to get to the ball, I'm not sure. But I I, I think that's savable for him. And then I said I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to watch the goal back really, um, apart from the replays. But I've read you know Gigi could have got tighter as I've, I mean there seems to be a shared responsibility between the two of them. But the action was just the action was as slow as Empoli were all game. It's just yeah. it executed I- it very well. From from being sort of, I don't know how far how far you you are from sort of the opposition penalty box from the Maratona, but even I felt like I knew ahead of time what was the only way he could score. Like you said, the only way he could score would have been an overhead kick. So I can sort of understand Gigi's reluctance to get too tight because if he gets tighter, that opens up his options. He can sort of get past him then, and then he. He's got three or four options. I think the the position he was in gave him that one option, and you would like to think that your goalkeeper is going to save that. Um, but bear in mind that I telegraphed it from maybe two hundred meters away, so you would like to think that a professional goalkeeper from from fifteen meters away might have, might be able to see it. Um, I just I have I have looked back at it just because there was a little bit of debate after the game to say sort of 
with a couple of people I watched the game with who who was at fault, whether it was Gigi or whether it was uh, Milinkovic Savage. I there is there's a little t- um sort of Milinkovic Savage makes a step to his would be to his right, um, which maybe makes obviously then him trying to sort of claw back to, to get into the corner a little bit more difficult. And that's again just another technical issue. I just don't understand in that logic. I'm not a goalkeeper, I'm not a goalkeeping coach or anything, but I don't understand why you would make it a um a move to the corner in which it would be literally impossible for somebody to score. Like that's just not there was no way Destro could score that way. Whereas if he'd even just stayed where he was originally, I think he gets over that and saves that pretty comfortably. Yeah, just game kind of encapsulated that our two we've talked about four kind of problem positions, but you can you can almost kind of boil it down to two. And just every time there's a shot on it, we conceded what two two shots that Destro then had the header offside, but uh, effectively they had one shot, one goal. And that seems to happen a lot. The opposition, the kind of XG for the opposition yeah. never seems to be particularly in our favour. And then at the other end, we just, you know, it wasn't just Sanabria missing chances, but we just, we don't have that killer instinct in attack. Um, and then I thought the game, obviously, Aina, who was man of the match for me, uh, or at least I know you thought uh, possibly Scurs as well was was up there. But I thought if Aina puts away that header kind of, Two minutes after, I think the game probably does flip yeah. in our favour. But as it was, then it was a period where we had lots of the ball. Think, do you think Ida may may have came off a little bit too soon? I think it's just energy levels. I think it just he looked. I think the issue I had uh, with the wing backs is I, I thought Lazzaro and Ina played played well, and I think Lazzaro week, uh, week after weeks getting better, and Ina just from the very first minute when he had kind of that shot on goal just looked to see being a very kind of proactive. Um, proactive performance. I think maybe it was just kind of freshening legs. So I did think, yeah, maybe he came off a bit too early. So playing what I know, I know, play, I know, sorry to interrupt there, but yeah. I know playing on the right is quite unusual for for him. If you think the last sort of eighteen months, two years, it's been Singo's position. I know naturally yeah. a, a right a right wing back. So I think maybe he enjoyed having that sort of yeah um, that's, extra, at, extra bit of space. Yeah, and even at follow me wasn't playing at position so it's been a long time yeah. since he's played in his natural position and maybe just wanted to take the proverbial ball by the horns and I think he did um, and then what same, seemed to happen then Lassaro got moved to the right and Voivode didn't really contribute that much when he came on to the left but what I found when Lazaro was on the right was Gigi was the one creating the overloads and, yeah. and just he wasn't able to get crosses in he wasn't and I wondered whether he'd been better off putting Aina in Gigi's position yeah. And having Lazzaro and Ina double up, uh, but I did feel there was kind of half an hour before the last ten minutes where we were quite disjointed. We were trying, we were getting it wide. We there wasn't a lot of kind of control. Maybe when Rich, Richie came on, there's a degree of kind of better possession. Um, I thought Rad- Radonich was pretty poor again when he came on, um, and then Pellegri. <laughs> Ever since you've mentioned the Zaza comparison, that's all I see. But he kind of came on and wound them up. And, you know, that, there was a moment where they they were time-wasting. We were supposed to give the ball back. Yeah, I think but, quite rightly we didn't give the ball back because they'd kind of, they hadn't been very sporting with with the amount of time they'd taken. But obviously that... that this, fits, I, this fits in with my anecdote from the game, which I, which I was going to mention. Because um, it was quite interesting. Because, yeah, the time-wasting for Empoli was ridiculous. Um 
a Vicario, the goalkeeper, must have got warned five times for time-wasting and ironically got booked after the equaliser when he wasn't actually time-wasting. So that maybe sums up the performance of the referee. But but one of the funny things that happened in this incident, which sort of led to Pellegrini getting booked and uh, I think it was uh, Maran getting booked. Um, so it takes an A... So Lazaro is on the on the touchline to take this throw in and it takes an age because we try to sort of give them the ball back and the referee wants to wait for the player to get off and then he waits for Empoli to make a change. But so I think in the second time that this happens, Shears comes over from centre back and tells Lazaro to put it in the corner. I don't think his intention is to do what um actually ends up happening, which is Lazaro does do what Shears says and, and puts it in the corner and Pellegrini then runs onto it and takes a touch and then regains possession. I think the idea was put it in the corner so that then they will get, a th- we can then either close in or we'll get thrown in the corner. It's difficult for them to to break out. So I thought that was just a, a rare bit of actual leadership and sort of game management from a player who's been at the club for three months and, and something which we sort of highlight quite a lot, just a lack of leadership in this team. Um, Rodriguez, the captain who doesn't speak, Luke to vice captain who goes on strike. I have, well, without breaking you off, but there's been talk of like Lukic's contract. Uh, it's been kind of very conflicting reports this week about that basically yeah. not happening. Um, but and well, as a kind of stat which came out, it was the first time Torino have ever started with eleven uh, non-Italian players in the lineup. So you you saw a bit of history in your. I, I, your I did, well. yeah, um, and I just felt that I I, I made a prediction. Went for dinner after the game. I made a prediction that I, I can see Shears becoming a, a Torino captain. Um, maybe next season. Maybe maybe you're where they are manning again this season. I just felt in that team there isn't a lot of character of somebody who is going to sort of shout and, and tell people what to do. And I think even just even something as simple as that, just basically a bit of game management. Yes, maybe not within the rules but I think like you say and believe time wasting was at such a ridiculous level that I mean it was cramp as well so there's probably no real need to to be too concerned about the player but um, yeah I thought there was that was something nice to see because it's not something you usually see with this Torino team they just seems a little bit too nice at the moment and Pellegrini probably another one who is um yeah, I, I was surprised nobody got sent off. It, they did go down pretty, uh, pretty easily with that. Yeah, I thought, I thought, but... a card, I thought a card was coming out. There. The other thing that scared me a bit was when I was watching the subs warming up. I think we had one sub left, and you had David Zima sprinting up and down. It's just like <laughs> you're not even on the touchline for this game. We're still thinking of changing a centre back. Well, well, we fair, ended, we did because we put, and ended up putting Yang Caramo on, and, and where was he playing? Well, the funny thing is, when Yannick Aramo came on, I thought, geez, Singo's a Singo's because <laughs> Singo had been warming up as well. And then, so I thought, then I saw a uh, last change, but this must be Singo who's throwing Singo on. Um, or, you know, whatever happened to Dembezek as well. But and then Caramo comes on, and, you know, if, I mean, in, he had a lot of space to be fair, but in I thought in five minutes, he, he could have quite could easily been in f- fed in for the winner as well yeah um but i thought he 
I always felt that it worked better with him when he was providing the overload and the area and then Gigi. And I think I think if we played another five minutes, we would have won the game as well. So no, I, I I'd agree. I think if we'd got that goal even just five minutes sooner, which was again the same the same point really. I think that we we, we almost I mean we haven't even talked about the goal because it is uh, I described it as the worst goal in Torino history. Um, I can't think of any other. Com- contenders there can't be too many goals where a player's not actually intended to score um but yeah probably sums up that game Empoli one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a football team at any level um and we've not we've not beat them yeah but I just think you've got to I think the at the end of the game the the players went over to the crowd I think the, the a lot of the fans just sort of sort seem to think it was just one of those days unfortunately those days seem to happen quite regularly for Torino but I don't think there was that much sort of anger animosity. I think the focus was then sort of to try and sort of g them up, ready for the for the derby, and um, that's something we'll be, we'll be talking about shortly. But I I think sometimes it was one of those games where if you if you'd not watched the game and you sort of looked at the result and you saw a one-one draw again at home to Empoli after losing three games in a row, you'd be like, oh, typical Torino. But I I think there was no. I don't think many players had a bad game. And and I think on another day that was four five one, um, and, and well, I say many players. On, I still think Milinkovic Savic failed in the one thing he had to do. So he'd probably be, be the one player who maybe didn't have his best games. But I thought I thought the, the wing backs were okay. GG again was a little bit lost, but was sort of willing willing to attack in the final third, looking for the equaliser. I thought Shears was really good the whole game. First half I thought he was excellent. He had a run just before the end of the first half where he sort of took on the the centre-back and sort of join the attack and you could sort of see his, his Ajax upbringing there. Um, and yeah, I felt it was it was a promising performance. Had we got, had we got the victory, we definitely would have deserved it. It would definitely not have been anything that Empoli could suggest they even deserved the point. I think they would have been lucky to get to get the no points in that game. Was it was it good to be back in Turin? It was. Yeah, just just a it's just a good city, isn't it? I'm I'm massively biased. I think it's one of those places which I think, in a way, you sort of wish that you didn't have the emotional connection to Torino because I think the city is so good that I like I would I encourage people to visit it objectively. But I know that uh, partially is is it am I biased because of um just the the connection I have to the city with Torino? But even in I only had a couple of days, but I still was able to do everything I wanted to do. I didn't do absolutely everything because hopefully I'll be going back with my fiance next year. Um so I'd sort of save a little bit of a little bit of the city, but it's just just a, a much better city. So and I do say this regularly, but if be thinking about going to Milan on a on a football break, um then don't because Turin is a much superior city. Yeah, I think I always said the great thing about Turin is the green spaces and you've got the river. And you've got a very the, the what they call the pre colina there, but the 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 area where the Grand Madre Church is, um, where they'd filmed a lot of the Italian job. You got that whole, quite kind of uh, yeah, the rolling hills side of the city, and then you've obviously got Superga as well, and then the city itself. Um, yes, yeah, so it's it's very kind of beautiful, historic centre, isn't it, with the kind of the grid system and a um, couple of the biggest piazzas in Italy, with Piazza uh, San Carlo and Piazza Castello. Um, and I think, yeah, and obviously you've got the, the, the Parco Valentino, you've got a lot of the, the kind of green spaces on the on the banks of the Po. Um, 
and I think as a kind of historical center is yeah Turin is definitely one of one of the one of the kind of nicest cities in Italy and then you've got you've kind of got lots of these little areas as well which are um which are kind of quite under the radar but definitely to be explored as well so um yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping to go back in 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 kind of early next year and I'm kind of looking forward to it because and also I, I lived there during the Winter Olympics at a period of kind of transformation for the city and it's quite interesting to go back and see the kind of legacy of that as the city kind of opened up to be a bit more of a tourist destination and um, it's kind of very very interesting to observe those changes. The, the thing I like about Turin is is the fact that it is a big city but it seems like a small city. It You, you can easily walk from the Grand Madre area to um even Porto Nova station around there or um, Piazza Castello like that's maybe a 20 minute walk 30 minute walk like I'm I'm anybody who's met me will know that maybe not the most athletic person but I'm I'm basically 42 miles in walking in in four days so it shows you because you've got things to see because there's sort of everything still, still quite compact it is a lovely city no definitely should we play in a I'm going to look look towards not a very lovely game at the weekend soon, but should we play in a bit of uh, bit of audio from a Torino legend? Let's go for it. Meloni si ferma, finge uno scatto e invece fa partire un pallonetto che scavalca il difensore interista e pertanto il portiere Sarti. Rete, rete, il Torino passa in vantaggio. Hello, and what you would have uh, just heard then is a famous commentary from. Uh, a famous goal from one of Torino's probably best-known players, especially after uh, Superga. It's uh, Gigi Moroni, um, who we felt, rather than doing the sort of normal hero and villain concept this week, um, it was maybe fitting to talk about a, a true Torino legend, uh, especially because Saturday marks the, the 55th uh, anniversary of, of, of his sad death. Um, and sort of ironically enough, the, the next game after... Uh, Moroni's death was a derby uh, that, that Torino played against Juventus. And um, Peter, can you, can you sort of let people know a little bit more about the, the Moroni story and, and also the sort of the derby that, that followed? Yes, as I mean, there's lots to lots to say, and I guess Moroni might be a character we we come back to um, as well. But yeah, Moroni was, um, I guess, a a number seven, a kind of, um, I'm always a bit conscious when we talk about Moroni, about how much of the legend has been added after his death and how much was, was kind of, um, how he was viewed and considered at the time, but he's often been called the Italian George best. Um, and as I said, I don't know if that was something which has been embellished later on, but he had, um, he, he was kind of a wide player with, great dribbling skills um um very 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 kind of creative player who, who who took players on uh exceptional close control um i i i kind of advise anyone to to, to kind of dig out the goal he scored against inter in the san zero which is uh there's a lot of george best quality about it and, and i think that so the george best comparison comes from how he was on the field um and also a little bit about the extrovert kind of anti-conformist personality off it. You know, he was one of the first players to to grow a beard, have long hair, um, kind of, yeah, not, not really conform to this kind of stereotype, the kind of 
the footballer in the straitjacket of the 1960s, I guess. And then he was into his art. He was into poetry. Uh, again, it's slightly embellished, but he kind of walked around Turin with a, a pet hen. Um, and there's a kind of lots of interesting parallels, uh, quite tragic ones with Moroni as well, in that um, he was he had this uh, quite famous relationship with a married woman, Christina, um, which is parallels of, with a little bit of Valentino Mazzola, the kind of the Politorino legend before him, who was also uh, well had, had quite a famous divorce case in an era where people didn't really um certainly the catholic church um views on divorce at, at the time were quite quite extreme and uh, the other th- yeah, i guess the other tragic lineage with this two with moroni as well not, um, even before getting to his death is one that the pilot of, of superga as we know was called pier luigi moroni so the first major torino hero that emerges post Superga has it shares the name of the pilot of of the crash um where, uh, where il grande torino perished and then when moroni he joined torino in 1964 and it's probably worth mentioning he's very fondly remembered at genoa which is the club we signed him from if you go to the marassi there's a Mar- there's a big kind of moroni um mural there he made a massive impression in in genoa loved by the fans there and i think part of the reason why there was a uh, why torino and genoa as, as two clubs part of the reason why they were so close as well and then um the coach so moroni had a coach at genoa who was called um benjamin santos he was the uh a bit of a goal scoring machine post superga for torino so he was an argentine i think he was an argentine um and scored between 1949 and 51, 41 goals in 64 games for Torino. So he was a little bit of a kind of hero in that those years post Superga. So he was the he was a coach when Moroni joined Torino, and he died in a car accident that summer, uh, I believe, in Spain. Um, so three years later, Moroni, showing the name of pilot Superga crash, coached by a former Torino player who passed away uh, after a car accident and so it was post the game Torino had won 4-2 at home to Sampdoria um Moroni had, had kind of revisited this story a bit Moroni but I think had lost his keys to his flat um so had gone to a bar um with a teammate um and tried to get hold of, I think he tried to get hold of his, his girlfriend or friends to get keys for his apartment and eventually crossed uh, Corso Re Umberto, which is a, uh, a kind of long, one of the long streets in Turin, which kind of goes from the centre towards uh, towards the Stadio Grande Torino now. Moroni was was killed, was hit by a car, um, I think thrown 50 metres by this car and then run over by a car coming in the other direction. And then the driver of the first car was... Atilio Romero, who much later on would become Torino president, um, ultimately one of the worst presidents we've ever had. But uh, and then again, this, I don't know if it's embellished by legend, but Romero was a massive Torino fan, a massive Moroni fan, and and the legend has it that he had a picture of um, Moroni on the on the dashboard board of his car. So the whole thing is is very tragic and very sad. And um, and then the week after the uh, week after the Sampdoria game, Torino played derby against Juventus. Um, Torino recorded the biggest ever post Superga win, four 0 Nesta Combin, who was this kind of 
absolute what we call brick shit house of a Franco Argentine centre forward who was uh, very good friends with Moroni. Um, I believe scored a hat trick in that game after Moroni. One of the last things Moroni apparently said um, after the Sampdoria game was you were going to score a hat you were going to score a hat trick in the derby next week. Um, and then there was a I think there was a, the helicopter a helicopter brought down flowers um, under the curve before the start of that game, but. So as a, obviously as Torino going to a derby this weekend, that was the, the kind of biggest Torino derby winning um I kind of to from Superga and, and and to this day. Um but obviously a lot of what we said has been quite quite sad, but then in Moroni brought a lot of happiness to Torino supporters in the in those three three, four seasons he was there. Um it's quite weird as when I lived in Turin, there was a lot of people who never saw Moroni play who would wax lyrical about him as a lot of Torino fans had like tattoos of Moroni and and uh, again who people who just but he's got almost got that kind of Che Guevara um you would see his face kind of around Turin in 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 kind of bars and and uh in kind of almost those pop art style pictures and um uh, we've always said we've said it in a few pods that's when you write a passage, I guess, for a Torino, for a kind of international Torino fan was to learn about Superdiga and then you dug deeper and then you discovered the, the story of Moroni and I think one day we'll tell the story of Giorgio Ferrini as well. Um, but yeah, he bought, he bought a lot of happiness. He was the, he was the kind of poster boy for Torino fans um, of that generation. It ended up being a very, like that 60s and 70s Torino had a very good team and could, could and should have won a lot more than they did. Um, and I think what we wanted to do is, yeah, ahead of a derby. Well, it's obviously fifty-five years on the day of, uh, on the day of uh, the derby this year is the fifty-five years since Moroni, Moroni's death. And I think just yeah, we kind of we've obviously never seen him play. We've we've read a lot about him, um, but yeah, he was called the the La Farfalla Granata, the the, the Granata butterfly. And yeah, you know, people always say it's yeah, you know, like like a butterfly it was beautiful, but. Um, wasn't with us as as long as we would have hoped um um but yeah let's let's hope we win it for win it for Gigi this weekend yeah I think that's a that's a brilliant tribute there Peter where I think anybody who like you say if people may be coming to this podcast it's mainly aimed at, at Torino fans but on the off chance that somebody has sort of come across this on on Spotify or or Apple Podcasts and sort of they're looking for a, an Italian team to support and they've unfortunately had to listen to our our two voices for for, for nearly a year then i think there's a a lot of um a lot of things you probably need to sort of know about as a torino fan and obviously Sofergu is probably your first port of call and then and the moroni and some of the heroes who came who came after him uh it's probably the the next sort of place you need to sort of start reading about and unfortunately there aren't too many books about torino in english but um, I think my my co-host may have may have wrote one actually, so there might be a. Um, I think there I might think be one copies one, left somewhere. Yeah, and I, I and I've kind of said this before. I think I said this in the Grande Torino episode that Torino is this rich. You go to a bookshop or anywhere in Italy, there'll be there'll be a disproportionate probably amount of books on Torino to to other teams, and if you, especially in Turin, you'll go there's whole shelving that's just you just see Granata spines everywhere. Yeah. And there's a couple of really good books on 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 Moroni. I think there's also kind of a, a kind of um, uh, kind of cartoon uh, ca- ca- cartoon strip type book as well. But um, and I'd, I'd read them 
probably a while ago now this this has kind of inspired me to go back and 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 read a bit more about the the Moroni legend I mean I have a kind of one anecdote that when I lived in Turin was quite often because Turin would play often play on Saturday matches in Serie B but you have to have these Sundays and this was kind of the mobile phones were a thing but there were classic Sundays in Italy where uh, the days were quite quiet and people would go out for the passeggiata and the ice cream in the afternoon. Um, or you'd go to the stadium as well. But you know, often, I often used to like, go and discover parts of Turin on the Sunday in d- different areas. And obviously now in Corso Umberto, this I think went up in 2007. as a memorial to Moroni now, which if anyone's going, like, you know, go and check out because it is kind of on the way to the stadium. Um, but I was lingering around and this obviously that memorial wasn't there at the time. I just wanted to discover the place where Moroni had, had passed away. And I think went to a bar there. And then I met some guy, as you quite often do in Italy, these random types. And he he claimed to live in the apartment next door to where Moroni lived. So I ended up going to this apartment and he was showing me a building where he claimed Moroni lived. And and, and he knew, the, but it, I mean, it was complete rubbish. I don't even think it was the same apartment. But you just, it was just quite, it's just, yeah, it's quite interesting how, yeah, people still try and um, attach themselves to to being part of, of probably a very exciting time in Turin and a bit the Moroni legend as well. But yeah, I would have, one of those players I would have loved to have, you know, if I could go back and see a Torino match, I'd love to go back to the Philadelphia in the, in the 40s, obviously. But to kind of get, yeah, see one of those matches where Moroni was, was at its best would be um, would be really interesting. I think just one thing to take away from that that is, if anybody is um, heading on a trip to Turin and a strange man in a bar offers you to take you back to their apartment, don't do what Peter did. And no, I'm still them. here though. I'm yeah, still he's, here. he's still here. I'm not on a let, I'm not on some Netflix series. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not about about a serial killer who pretended he knew footballers. But yeah, I mean, that's, if Netflix are listening, me and Peter are co-executive producers on that series now. Um, but yeah, was, was, sorry, I was going to say, oh no, no, I was going to say there was talk, and it will lead us a bit to who we're playing this weekend. There was talk uh, that season of Moroni joining joining Juventus or Juventus being interested in Moroni, um, which I don't obviously, yeah, as I said, obviously the derby. Uh, post his, post his his death as well, kind of yeah, leads us on a little bit to to the kind of the match we're probably not looking forward to this weekend. But I don't, do you, is there anything you wanted to close on? Yeah, on it was Moroni? just um, I know that there's for Italian speakers. I think there's I think Rai did a um, dramatization of the Moroni story relatively recently. I've not I've not watched it myself, um, and I'm, I might try and track it down and see. Unfortunately, my Italian is nowhere near the level of Peter's, but I might try and track it down and see if there is a, a subtitle version anywhere. Um, but just wondering whether you'd seen it and whether it's worth a worth a watch at all. I'd, I'd seen it. There are quite a few. of There was a period about three or four years where a lot of Il Grande Torino documentaries came out or serialized. There was a serialization, and then there was a um, there was a Moroni one. And I, I remember, do remember watching. I don't know. It's more kind of documentary led. Um, there is definitely a documentary style one out there um, and maybe there's a dramatized one as well and I remember them both I remember the documentary one especially because it had contributions from Christina who who was his partner and um, and I remember that being quite good so if you can check anything out if I don't know if things now have been subtitled as well um, but yeah there's some some very good literature and and content on Moroni out there 
Um, we did just patch it before we move on to the derby, and uh, just coming up on Saturday. We we did just sort of joke there about Netflix, but I do feel Torino is one of those clubs who who if you if a Netflix series was done on them, they it would be a club that you would never run out of material for. You could do a documentary based on the history. You could do a bait because there's so many instances which, unfortunately, you would think were fiction. There's so many things that have happened that you would be like you you people would want if this happened in a film, people would not go to see it because they'd think it it was. It was too. It was. It, it couldn't be true, uh, and unfortunately, the, the history of Torino is is sort of littered with with just cruel coincidences and and cruel things that have happened to to so many players and so many sort of figures within that within that club. That yeah, again, we, we were joking, but if if anybody from Netflix is listening, um, me and Peter would have more happy to get on board and and sort of come and think of some ideas of of some uh, TV shows. Robert Gilman, coordinating producer. There you go. Yes, uh, anything's a fun another trip out to Turin. I'm more than happy to um, uh, take take uh, place in that. All right, so we bring ourselves to talk about Derby. That's that's now this the, this could be the the point that I say where I may have renewed optimism for this game on Saturday because there's a chance I might not be able to watch the first half. So my Can record you... this season. It's pretty good. Not not watching games. We we beat Monza. We beat Cremonese. Maybe if we're winning at, for, at, at after the first half, I don't watch the second. Well, I've got a bit of a stat for you. Um, so I went went back and did some research on the derbies. Uh, so the, since the year two thousand, help if I find my stat. But do you know any points Torino have dropped from losing? Uh, from winning, for, uh, are any points Torino dropped with goals conceded in the last ten minutes against Juventus in the derby? Oh, from year two thousand. Yeah, and also bearing in mind that there's been um, Serie B years for both yeah. teams. So, well, I, I know that we were leading derbies at least twice going into the last ten minutes because I was at them. Um, so there's four points. So I'd go fifteen points. Yeah, you're. I'm just checking my calculate. Yeah, I think it, I think my calculators were one at one half. So I think it is 15 points. Gianni Torino have gained in in the 2000s with, with late goals to salvage a point or win. None, none. That's correct. So we have. Um, there have been. I, th- I think I think I need I th- two points added to the uh, predictions uh, yeah. <laughs> league table for those. They're, they're pretty impressive. I think, yeah, I think I think there's probably 11 derbies which we never conceded uh, goals in the last 10 minutes that have proved decisive. Uh, there was one year where we, there's a couple where we conceded two in the last yeah uh, 10 minutes to so they, where they've where they've gone on to win by two goals. But yeah, and there's a whole, you know, there's Locatelli, Bonucci, Ronaldo, Higuain, Cuadrado, Pielo, Maresca, Trezeguet, Chiellini, Vidal, Marchisio. We've we've all we made all of those people heroes at a certain point. So you, you say this though, but I just don't think that. And again, I, I'm fortunate enough not to know any Juventus fans that well. But I, I just don't think that these players for scoring in a in a derby and maybe held in such esteem as a as a Torino player who uh, scored in a derby. We'll, we'll get on to it. We'll get on to later. But players like Ricardo Maspero is is famous for Torino fans. He didn't even score in a derby. 
Oh, he did. He scored in the three-three. Oh, apologies. He apologies. scored. But, in, he scored but, before he put the hole in the penalty spot. Yeah, but he. Yeah. But that's the reason he's famous. He's famous for yeah. the hole in the penalty spot. He's not famous for the for the goal. Yeah. No. No. I know. And I. I went. Have gone back research for the section we're doing now and some of the derby wins and losses. Unfortunately, and he actually noticed in the Torino wins just what it means to the Torino players. I saw one. Uh, what the derby is going to talk about was is from the the last time we did the double and the scenes of Giulio Falcone, who was a local, I think it was, I can't remember. It was, he can't, definitely come for the Trinity youth team, but celebrating under the cover and after the game and just going absolutely wild. Um, and then seeing stuff from, even from the, well, for the one Derby win we've had under, mm-hmm. under Cairo as well, but just kind of what it, what it, it does, it does mean, this is not some kind of tired cliche. It does mean a win does mean more for Torino than it does for Juventus for lots of different reasons. Um, and I don't know if we want to first go into the kind of a little dip into the derbies in the past before we talk about the tra- the awful form Juventus are in and, and this weekend. So yeah, so so we- we've each picked out five um, sort of derby matches that we remember or that sort of are not notable to talk about um so i've i've just looked at my list and i've only written four down so i might just try and find out which one i've missed which is it isn't a great start to uh to a live podcast um but yeah so the concept is that we're sort of going to talk about some of the these derbies sort of what happened key moments and they might not all be from our sort of time or I, the ones i've picked i've tried to, to just limit to ones that i can remember just because it's a little bit easier for me then to talk about them um, so yeah, do you want to sort of start off, Peter, and I'll try and find my missing derby. No, it's fine. Um, so yeah, we're not we're not necessarily picked out. Um, I think we've just picked out derbies that represent the um, the rivalry a little bit rather than simply ones Torino have won, um, which is for you, Slim Pickens, Rob, because I think we've only ever had one win. Um, my first one goes is 1983, and this goes back before. Um, I became a, obviously long before I became a Torino supporter as well, but the, the Derby in 1983 is another one of those kind of parts of Torino history you learn about. And I think it's one that, I think this is a, the kind of legacy of this game has inspired Torino teams in the in the future and has kind of created a, maybe it's not justified anymore, but that, that kind of narrative in the Derby that Torino will never give up and that Torino are kind of... Um, yeah, they're, they're never out of the derby. But the, that year we were out of the derby, we were 2-0 down. Juventus were chasing the Scudetto, Rossi, and uh, and when Platini scored a rebound off a penalty. So 20 minutes to go, 2-0 down. And then Torino scored three in four minutes uh, through Dosena, bon, uh, Bonesso, and then and Torizzi gets the winner. Um, Roma fans, um, Roma fans of a certain vintage uh, kind of have a soft spot for Torino because that was the win that probably derailed Juve from going for the Scudetto in the year that, that Roma won the title. Uh, the winning goal was a kind of, yeah, very well-executed volley from from kind of the edge of the box. And then I, just, I kind of, yeah, went on. The, Teresa, the winning player, has this massive, like, gold necklace on as well. It's just kind of, uh, it's, just, it's kind of very of its time, that match. And then I kind of dug out some footage of, of of that kind of derby uh, a few days ago, and then there's some kind of very interesting clips from after the game as a reporter on the pitch trying to interview the referee, 
there's an interview with with Gentili where he just basically says we couldn't live with Torino's pressing and 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 Torino came um more and more into the match as Juve tied but that's kind of a a very famous one of the facets of derbies there have been these occasional I guess once in a generation Torino have this epic comeback in a derby and I think yeah we're waiting we're waiting for the one for for the Rob Gilman generation but um that yeah that's kind of definitely for Torino fans uh a special derby. What's your just first to, one? Anyway. Just, just to yeah. just to comment on that one, the um, I, when I was over in Turin, I um, spoke to a Torino fan um, who 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 I knew through through May, so a previous guest of the podcast, and and Gian, uh, Gianpaolo said that that game was. I asked him; he'd been, I think, he's been to over a thousand Torino games. I asked him which is which was his favourite game. Um, in, in history, and, and he picked out that one. So I think that sort of shows what a what a moment and what sort of a important part that that game would have been for for Torino players. I mean, something like that. We we talk fondly about about sort of comeback victories against Sassuolo. So imagine the feelings that you would get being in the stadium, and that would be a derby. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, none of my games sort of rival that. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll stop off with the only I'll start off with the only sort of derby victory, which I've been fortunate enough to witness. Unfortunately, uh, on the TV, but it's uh, 2015 uh, Torino two Juventus one. Uh, Pirlo gave Juve the lead before uh, Matteo Damian equalised. With still one of the weirdest goals I think I've ever seen. Just uh, just the angle that. I think he he mishits the volley, so it sort of goes into the ground and sort of goes into the the opposite corner that you would expect it to go into. Probably not what uh, Damian intended. Um, and then and then the winning goal um, created by um, the Moroccan magician Omar, Omar Al Kadouri, uh, and uh, finished off by Fabio Quagliarella, who probably one of the main main reasons he's is not well liked by Torino fans is the fact that the goal scorer at the 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 scorer of the first winning goal in the derby for 20 years chose not to celebrate because he used to play for Juventus and I think that probably was the beginning of at the end of his second spell at Torino because I think uh, in some situations even though you may have this sort of rule where you don't sort of celebrate against former clubs uh, when you've had as many former clubs as Quagliarella you probably can't be celebrating many goals so uh, it was just that was my first my first derby victory. I, I remember Padelli making uh, a number of sort of fortunate saves, possibly at the at the end. But to manage to hold on to that victory was was sort of probably one of the best feelings that I've I've had as a as a Torino fan. Um, and, and to finally sort of to beat Juventus was was a lovely feeling after after some of the games that we talk about. There's, there's been a lot of heartbreak beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cairo under the Cairo presidency, that's the only win in something like twenty-five, or I don't know. If, uh, I feel like that number twenty-five has been around for a while, but that had come after a um, quite a drought. There'd been a period where Torino just didn't score in the derby as well. Yeah. There was a, so, there was a period of Torino where we actually the gap. We also put the gap between Torino and Juventus is a very important factor in the derby, and there's been periods where Juventus have been ultra dominant and Torino very bad. Yeah, the last the last um, victory I think before the the 2015 one was I think we did a double in 1995. 
yeah, that's well, that's exactly my next one. So in 1995, yeah, I remember these two games. Um, the one I'm going to talk about is the first one of that season. It was a three-two win. Um, there'd been floods in Turin in the in the November, so the game had been been called off and was uh, was um, postponed to a January uh, evening. Five goals are all in the first half. So uh, uh, Rizzi Goli was the hero who scored four goals in the two derbies that year. Uh, Rizzi Telly uh, got two, and then um, Jocelyn Anglamar, the French fullback, um, scored the winner. Um, Viali scored two two replies for Juventus, and in the second half, one of my least favourite goal, Fabrizio Ravanelli, uh, takes a very good penalty actually, which are kind of much very erratic goalkeeper Luca Pastine saves. Uh, we hold on to the win three two, and then we win. This was a very good Juventus team. This was the Juventus team that. Uh, I think won the double that year and then went on to win the European Cup, the Champions League the year after. Um, it was Lippi's Juventus um, and we beat them 2-1 in the reverse fixture as well. So that was the yeah the last derby double and it felt like we had to many years of suffering <laughs> because of, uh, yeah, for that one one year of joy. But that, that, was, a, that was kind of a special... Special time, and yeah, we, we kind of we pray for a derby win now, but I don't know how long it'll take to for a season where we win both derbies. Maybe, maybe another. Um, what, what was so that? Must be twenty-seven years. Twenty-seven. Yeah. 27 so that, yeah. 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 No, yeah it'll I, be I would, twenty-eight. It'll be twenty-eight years at the earliest before. Yeah. We, uh, so that's yeah. That that does say a lot. So number two on my list, which probably probably does sum up how how bad my sort of derby history has been. Um, I've gone for Juventus one Torino one from 2017. Uh, this is the Lech free kick game. Um, Aqua then gets sent off, and then Higuain scores um, probably a 92nd, 93rd minute equaliser. Uh, this was the one where I thought we'd finally sort of broke it. We, we'd beat, we'd won at the. Uh, Stadio Olimpico as it was then in, in 2015 and and then it was we'd never won at the the Allianz Juventus Stadium um, and I thought this was the one where finally we're sort of going to be able to do it uh, it's been a habit in recent years that the derby especially the away one is around the Superga weekend and this was, was one of those games I think it was um, a couple of days afterwards um, and yeah, Lurch, unbelievable free kick from probably 25, 30 yards. Runs straight to the sort of the band of Torino fans. And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but this was one of the games that I was at. And um, it just felt that then Aqua got sent off for a second yellow card, very harsh um, red card. I think it was a second yellow. Um, well, so and, yeah, Mihailovic went absolutely Yeah, Mihailovic went, went, went crazy because, because actually Mihailovic people probably have a have opinions on on his sort of ability as a Torino co- coach but he did always seem to sort of get a performance out of them for for the derby so it seemed to motivate them quite well until the Copper Italia one uh, until, got fired and, until he it, didn't uh, and then he got and, fired and the, there was the one where uh, Daniele Baselli got sent off after like 20 minutes uh, so maybe fired them up a little bit too much oh but. that was when that, that was the era where he kept telling Baselli wasn't you know it was a kind of but he he had a thing for Benassi and uh, Bazelli not being not having enough grinta. I think he <laughs> fired, fired Bazelli up and, uh, and Bazelli lost and his. And head. if you see where the career, their careers are both gone, you can sort of see that he did have a point. Um, but yeah, just the probably the worst feeling I've had 
as a as a been in the stadium watching Torino is probably two of the worst feelings I've had. First one was being in Florence for uh, the Fiorentina game where Torino needed to win to qualify for the Europa League, and Churchy missed the last minute penalty. That I mean, it, that feeling that day was pretty bad, but ultimately Parma got kicked out of the Europa League and Torino sort of snuck their way in. So in hindsight, I think this probably does become the number one because we were just so close to to it. I think it was the season as well where we'd gone the whole second half of the season without a clean sheet. It was Joe Hart's um, season in goal. Um, and yeah, Higuain pops up and, and scores a sort of last-minute equaliser to, to deny us a victory where I think we'd... I think with ten men, with eleven men, I think we would have we would have held on and got the victory. But obviously, that's uh, no we've, way of we've, that. I think oh, we've played pretty consistently well at the Allianz Arena. Often yeah. our derbies there, we've ever man sent off and capitulate because there was a there was a Glick one where I don't know if it's on your list, and so I won't dwell on it now. But um, or we've yeah we've been very unlucky not to win, and that was it was a good goal from Higuain that um, as like Hart couldn't have done much with it. Um, yeah, it was kind of, kind of a, a bit of a shame that one. Uh, my, well, I'll flip it, flip it back to one where we did come back. This is the last, last of the generational epic comeback. So it was the, uh, um, you mentioned it earlier, but it was the 2001 Torino were three nil down. This was not a very particularly, it was an okay, it was a Torino team. It was a bit, bit random. It was, um, had some good players, but it, was kind of struggling. It was a, it was a kind of the yo-yo era, but we're three nil down and 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 desperate. And he just he, there were a few derbies in the early noughties where we got we got kind of spanked by Juventus. It was just kind of is it going to be another one of those that, that because they scored three in I think twenty five minutes of three nil up. And then I remember listening to this game on the radio, and um, and I don't know why I kind of carried on listening to it, but you just you just there and then Torino get one back through Lucarelli, then they get a penalty, which Ferrante scores it's three two. Can they, will they? And they do, and then I think it's I, can't, I remember Antonino Asta having a very good game and be definitely being involved in the in the goal which Buffon spills and then Maspero scores. And then but, if, but as as I refer to, this is why not why he's mentioned this is not why he's remembered fondly by no, Torino, but and then, Torino but, fans. Torino scored too early, you know, it's kind of, it's like 83, 84 or something, or something. but of course into injury time, events get a very dubious penalty. Um, kind of takes an age for them to take it. Salas, um, I can't remember if Salas could come on as a sub, but Salas has the ball in his hands. There's a kind of, I guess there's a lot of deliberation. And while he's doing that, um, Ricardo Maspero starts uh, digging a very kind of creative, hole in uh, around the penalty spot which I've, uh, I've seen this happen now quite a few times following uh, this um i've seen it in a Southampton game before when uh, we played into in the europa league and antonio candreva did it um so but i i can't remember seeing it many times before i think Maspero may have sort of created a sort of or started a trend here it's quite a clever thing to do actually because if you get caught the worst thing that's going to happen is you get booked and ultimately what what happens to the penalty? Well, the penalty. Uh, uh, yeah, to Alessandro, I think. I think. Well, well, I think Chris Waddle's famous <laughs> one at the other side of the stadium uh, went somewhere, and it was a bit like the Chris Waddle one. But yeah, I don't think the we ever saw that ball again. Uh, that ball should probably be in the 
Torino Museum somewhere, but they missed the penalty. There's a lot of things that should be in the Torino Museum. And they uh, they didn't come back. I, you know what? I feel like listening to the the audio of that penalty should play it in. Yeah, let's. Pucci è pronto Salas, fischia l'arbitro, va Salas, incredibile! Che errore! Okay, so my uh, third game, which really does show you the, the slim pickings that I've had to deal with as a Torino fan, is the the last derby actually from uh, so it was from earlier this year. Um, 1-1 draw, uh, Bellotti scoring the, the equaliser. I picked this one up just because of, I thought the performance was one of our better derby performances. Um, as, as you rightly say, we've, our, our record at the, the Alliance has actually been really good. Not actually picked up probably more points there in recent years than we have at home. Um, but yeah, I thought we played just a, a good game. I can't even remember who, who scored for, for Juve, but uh, Brekelo with some good work down the left-hand side, crossing for Bellotti, and it felt in the sort of last 20 minutes or so that if one team was going to win it, it, it would have been Toro. Um, but yeah, it turns out to be his um, last ever one of his last ever goals for the club and his last goal in a derby, but it's the last time I'm going to mention him on this episode. Well, my my game four is uh, yeah, going to take a turn, turn into a dark place, but I'll go for a nil one defeat in 2007 because I think it might be one of the games that um, started this run of conceding late goals, but I also think it was an era where Juve had a pretty poor team and uh, it's frustrating that we didn't kind of take advantage of the of that kind of period Juve had where they're in Serie B and came back and they they weren't very good for a few seasons. But some of the players they had in that team, they had future Torino legends Molinaro and Nocciolino. They had, they had the, the Torino legend that wasn't in Sergio Almiron. They had Palladino, Cristiano Zanetti, Legrotalie and Grigiera. Um Obviously, they had one or two, one or two kind of Ned Veds and Del Pieros playing, but we lost to a 93rd minute goal from from Trezeguet, which a Torino player assisted with a terrible <laughs> backwards head. I can't remember who it was, or it was someone like Ivan Franceschini, or um, but yeah, Trezeguet might have even been offside, but because it was headed by a Torino player. But yeah, then I think that just set the tone for a period seven, eight years where I think we've been competitive in the derbies generally. Since around that time, that one we won, while not getting the points we deserve. But I think there was like a seven-year period where we were pretty hopeless, um, especially in the home derbies. I think that way that that one kind of set set the tone for me. Uh, so number four for me is is actually the. I think that would have been the first one of the first derbies that I would have watched. I can remember the Trezeguet goal. I think that was the second derby that year. I think we might have drawn the first one nil nil, or maybe it was the other way around. Um, but yeah, the, the one I've gone for number four is, is Juventus three Torino nil. Two thousand twelve. This was our it was the December in twenty twelve. So it was our first derby back after promotion, um, and probably most most anonymous with Camille Glick getting sent off uh, in the first half for a challenge on uh, Jackarini. I think it was. So um, it's a derby that started your singing career. Uh, uh, in a way it was yeah I don't think Glick had, had sort of cemented himself to become a Torino hero at this stage but it is that is re- that is mentioned and referenced in, in the in the rap about his um, 
about his sort of his challenge. I think he got I think he got sent off in two derbies actually. I think this one could have been for the foul on Giovinco, and the second red was was the one on Giacchini. But it, looking back, I mean at that t- that team, um, that it, I mean it's not the best three no fan team you would have seen. Sort of Miguel Basher, Mario Santana, Ricardo Mejirini. Uh, but the back four, probably one of the best back fours to have ever played for Torino in recent years. So you had Damian at right back, D'Ambrosio at left back, and Agbona and Glick as the two centre-backs. Um, it's not the worst back four that you will have ever seen, but obviously, I, and I seem to remember Torino playing quite well into the red card. Um, and then Juve sort of run away with it, with the with the advantage. But um just, I think because it's been sort of a few years since the derby, that's just one which always sort of sticks in my mind as as a key game. Um, and yeah, sort of continued our inability to to score in, even in the derby. Yeah, my my last one is another defeat. So there was a there was a spate of a kind of like the two one defeats. There were at least back to back two one defeats where Juve scored in the ninety fourth minute. I mean, once was. Once was careless the second time. Um, but I remember to this 2014 one, I guess the first point of note was it was the Bruno Perez coast-to-coast goal. Um, and what I love, what's very noticeable about that goal, talking about Qualiorella not celebrating his derby winner, was um, was uh, Torino had a certain um, a Maori in attack and Mario goes, he's so happy, Torino. He's so he's so happy. And um, do you think part? Do you think part of it's the, the because of the goal? Yeah, I did. I said this a little bit with the Destro goal, where I said they may have over celebrated a little bit, but I think maybe it's because it was such a good goal. I think may, the passion of the derby is obviously always going to be there, but I think when a, a great goal is scored in that in that environment, just you actually just lose it completely and and Amari sure, but... you would have thought had you missed the goal you'd have thought Amari had scored yeah but yeah no it was but a former he was a former former Juventus player as well I just thought yeah thought it was quite true but it's where you go um I forget the order of that was that an equalizing goal Juventus scored, I think it was, yeah I think it was an equalizer yeah and then I'd forgotten this but Lichtsteiner was actually sent off wasn't he about 15 minutes to go so Juve were down to 10 men Possibly, uh, talking about least favorite Juventus players of all time Lichsteiner, yeah. definitely top three. Yeah, I think you could use the, lose the word Juventus and he would still be on any list of least favourite. I didn't like him when he was at Lazio. So, um, same for Quadrado. I never liked Quadrado, even when he was at a friendly a friendly team. Um, but yeah, so Torino, uh, 11 against 10. It's the 93rd minute. Uh, Marco Banassi, who later that season cost us a in a decisive view match against Zenit when he gets sent off in the first leg of the um was it round of 16 yep. uh, Europa League he basically gets muscled off the ball by Bonucci uh who feeds Pirlo smacks an absolutely great shot from outside the edge but a bit like the Higu- Higuain goal it goes in that same position um and we yeah we lose 2-1 and I remember just at the point um that Pirlo shot uh so I was living in Switzerland at the time I've, I seem to remember it was like trick or treat season and these bunch of kids had rang the doorbell downstairs. So I had to go downstairs having lost the derby in the 94th minute to face some Swiss trick or treaters. 
Um, yeah. Was it Stefan Lestan's kids? <laughs> was it? <laughs> that, yeah, that that could have been the subplot. But yeah, um, yeah, pretty pretty horrible derby. I think actually it felt worse the year after when Quadrado scored because they'd done it again and it was Quadrado yeah. scoring. But that that was, it was my a really awful goal as well. That was the first time I ever saw Torino scoring a derby. Ah, uh, the Bruno Perez goal. Bruno Perez goal, yeah. So okay. I was expecting all the goals to be like that. Yeah. Um, but the fact that I'd already seen probably like seven or eight before I wanted to see a goal sort of made me realise that that was a bit of a rarity. I thought that might just be... If that was... And to be honest, it's such a good goal. It's probably... The, the weirdest thing about... Again, sort of going into massively different subjects here, but Perez, at that point, wasn't really even a fixture in the, in the side. He, was ta- it wasn't put on the list of players for the Europa League, uh, so he could only play domestic games, and he was sort of seen that there was a little bit of potential there, but he massively exploded onto the stage with that goal, and and then became sort of our first choice right back, right wing back for for the next couple of seasons. But um, yeah, just a, a memorable goal, and the celebrations definitely definitely memorable as well. Um. My last game is, again, another game that I, that I attended was um, 1-1 2019 at the Alliance Arena. Um, Sasha Lukic gave Torino the lead. I think he intercepts uh, a back pass from the uh, Juventus defender or sort of like muscles the player off the ball and then sort of one-on-one with, uh, must be Chesney. Um, and he scores. And it, again, this was another game which was tied in with the... Um, Tied in with Superga, it was it was that May weekend, um, and again it looked like we were going to hold on for uh, the victory. Uh, Bremer, who we may go on to talk to talk about later, um, w- this was one of his sort of first games that he played for the club, and um, had sort of marked Ronaldo out the game for sort of eighty minutes or so until sort of five minutes to go. Uh, Ronaldo uh, equalises with a header. Um, I think I seem to think Juventus probably had a couple of chances to win it in the end as well, but we managed to to hold on to the point, and that was quite a key key result into the in the running of that season because then we went then went on to uh, qualify for the Europa League under under Mazzari. So um, it was just a, a, not as sort of the, the, the equaliser came a little bit sooner than the the one with Higuain, and the performance probably wasn't as good from from a Torino perspective. But still, given my short list of options, a memorable game. Yeah, the other thing I'd say in research is there's a lot of unmemorable derbies. There's a lot of derbies that there are three. I'm going to say very quickly. We lost there's three one nil defeats. I really don't remember one where Pogba scored. One where Alexandro scored and one where Tevez scored. I just don't remember. Those I don't times. remember. Yeah, I don't remember the Tevez and uh, Alexandro ones at all. Were they all at the Stadio Olimpico? Yeah, Grande Torino. Yeah, yeah. And that and that's and that sort of fits into fits into in recent history. We have performed better in the in the away in the away game. Maybe there's just a little bit less pressure there. Um, maybe that helps. But I mean, if you just think of them, we haven't won a derby for seven years. The amount of players. That no player in the three no side knows what winning the derby feels like. Like that is pretty, pretty scary thought going into our next game. Uh, just one question before we sort of build on to Saturday's build up. Where would you say the derby della mole fits in the list of 
derbies in Serie A because I think there are uh, one of the best things about the league is the number of derbies that there are um, and very passionate and probably you would probably put them in, in and amongst the best in the world but I think the discrepancies and the sort of the fact that Juventus are always just going to be the favourite in a derby probably puts it behind some of the other intercity derbies in the in the league so I would say personally it's the third biggest derby in Serie A behind what's what uh, are we saying there's four city derbies like traditionally four city derbies with uh, Genoa, Genoa yeah. Milan Rome and Turin yeah, yeah. so I, I would have the Rome derby as number one the Milan derby as number two and then the Turin derby as number three Genoa Samp as four um, and I don't think we've missed any obviously there's sort of regional derby so you've got sort of Palermo Catania which, which I'm sure is, hasn't been played in Serie for a while but that's quite a tasty fixture as well but it's not an intercity derby so yeah I, w- I would put it as number three on that list that Genoa Samp you could probably probably even make an argument for that being third because of because it's relatively even um, but I just think the, the, the history of um, Torino Juve probably just sneaks above it yeah I think Genoa Samp is um in terms of the league table, very rarely has an impact on the upper echelons of it. I'd often find that Derby's often won by the team in worse form. It's a, it's quite a random one. Um, but obviously very good TIFO, great stadium. Um, the Rome Derby I've actually been to, and I think that's the one where there's the most kind of political divide between the supporters. And it's probably won over the last 25, 30 years with the two teams consistently being in the top six has taken on more importance. And again, often think that one doesn't go to the form book. Um, the Milan derby always thinks a bit more between the fan bases of the four is probably the ones where you, you could imagine the f- fans of the walking to the stadium together. Yeah, I'd, I'd, compa- I'd compare the Milan derby to Everton-Liverpool. Yeah, it's obviously where you, you might get a family where because actually, and actually, you probably make, this is probably where you could make an argument for Torino Juve being second is that actually Inter fans probably think their biggest derby is Juventus and Juventus, but then Juventus probably think their biggest derby is Inter. Yeah, and a little bit, I think, I think, I think Milan to a certain extent as well. I think, yeah, the Milan derby is obviously uh, has the most prestige. Um, I think what the Turin derby compared to the other is the biggest discrepancy between the the two teams, uh, especially over the last... I think until 30 years ago, it was fairly tight. In fact, Torino had probably were punching above their weight and did very well in the derbies. Uh, but now we are the actual underdog. So if you like the underdog story in a derby, this is the one where you're going to get it. And the other thing is the divide in the city in that um, actually Roma Lazio is a little bit different as well. But uh, Juventus aren't a team. We can maybe come on to this quickly, but Juventus aren't the team of Turin. Um Juventus have got a lot of influence in Turin, and there's a lot of a lot of the kind of people with money in Turin, and a lot of people who own big businesses in Turin have, are tied to Juventus. It's not Juventus are very present in Turin in that sense, but there's not an area of Turin where you say, "Oh, that's oh, you wouldn't want to go there in a Torino shirt because that's the Juve area." Where, where you might have that in 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 certainly in Rome in in, in Genoa to an extent. Um, so it's, it is different in that there's less territorial. In a sense, it's always Torino fans feel like there's the people coming into their city for the derby. Um, it was a famous, so had, famous yeah. banner at the um, Stadio Grande Torino a few a few years ago. The, the welcome to Turin, uh, yeah. Benvenuti a Torino. 
Yeah, um, so so uh, it's, it's it's unique in that sense. And then it's just for me, a lot of the derbies are about colours. And I think Torino Juventus has great colour contrast. Looks yeah. good. I think Milan Inter looks good. I don't think Genoa, Samp, and Roma Lazio quite look as good. And it's just a very it's a very personal thing. It's very and aesthetics. I think the Milan and Turin derbies have a certain. You could, yeah, you could, you know immediately who's playing, and um, but yeah, so this this weekend, uh, who's gonna? You're gonna say the dreaded <laughs> Serena certainly aren't starting this derby as favourites, I don't think, but there will be as a certain kind of. Is this the best opportunity? Certainly, I, in I think it's. Oh, I think Torino fans sort of when. When Juventus lost in Israel against Maccabi Haifa in the, in the week, I think every Torino fan, especially we were talking during the game, sort of feared the worst because you sort of expect a reaction to come. Whereas if they got a draw or, or just got a narrow a narrow victory, you'd sort of feel and maybe in a strange way a little bit more confident. It's probably just the pessimism of Torino fans. Where on the outside looking in, you'd think this is the absolute best time to play Juventus, who have lost lost against Milan, lost against um, Maccabi Haifa, and are probably in a really vulnerable state where a victory is possible. But history tells you that sometimes Juve, and usually in a derby, can sort of pull a, a result out of nowhere. Um, and unfortunately, Toro aren't coming into the game in the best form either. Um, so I think it's... It is a weird one where I think I was I was hoping that Juve would would sort of come back and, and draw uh, in midweek because I felt like the reaction um, is going to be quite strong on Saturday because I think if they lose I, I, I did see a, a banner um, from the Juventus ultras which sort of made reference to the derby um, today and I, I do think if they lose then Allegri will probably get sacked and. Maybe that's what the players want. So maybe we, maybe that's, we should be optimistic. That's the hope. There were two things going to happen after they lost in the week. One was they were going to fire Allegri, and then either like Montero, which probably would have been disastrous for us, or they, we know they wouldn't have got a top level coach in four days. But it's whether if they fired Allegri and got a bounce, they decided to stay with Allegri. Uh, they've gone into Retiro. So I guess my fear is they're just going to compact themselves. They're going to make themselves ugly, even uglier. But go back to being really hard to beat and focus on defending and then, and then as they always do they'll take the chance they get um your the the theory you mentioned is maybe they just don't like Allegri and want him gone and this would be the this would be the perfect not game to, to throw but you know if they're not going at it 100% um that could make a difference I just I just don't really know you can't everything we just talked about Torino in this podcast from not beating, from the history, um, from not beating an Empoli team that didn't turn up to to the recent derby wins. We just can't say with any kind of confidence that Torino will win this game. Uh, it's just, uh, and the Juric's Torino as well is not particularly good in the last 30 minutes when the derbies have been decided traditionally over the last 20 years. Yes, they are for the take, and I think we've got to go at them. We've got to exploit their lack of confidence. We've got to force them to ask them to question themselves. If, if we make, if, yeah. so, sorry to cut over. If we make a similar start than we did against Empoli, then uh, and manage to score a goal, then I think that totally changes the concept of the game. I think the longer it goes as nil-nil, the longer I'd fear. I think if we get an early goal, that stadium will be rocking, and that could totally like if Juventus players are in a mindset where 
well, if we lose here, at least the coach is going to go. Um, then those sort of doubts are going to creep in. And that they're probably the best player this season. Uh, Angel de Maria is injured. Um, so that's, again, I suppose, a positive. Yeah, I just feel Juventus had a model of three or four years ago which worked, which kind of picking up these almost superstars and free transfers. But they've kind of cannibalised themselves, the Ronaldo signing, and that's just left them financially in a very... Yeah, it, it, a very kind of weird place, but they're just. Um, I don't. I don't like the business they did this summer. Um, Vlajevic, he, he may score a hat trick on Saturday, but he he hasn't worked out. Maybe not for his own fault yet, but they've just not got the best out of him. Um, but yeah, I, I think this game is absolutely decisive to Ivan Juric's future and to. Um, to Torino season. I'm not saying if we lose Europe should be sacked or anything. I just think what a victory will buy him. Yeah. It will buy him buy him the rest of the season almost providing Torino they're getting broiled or anything. The coup and, and, kind of And in a way I think I see I think my biggest concern with Juric is the fact that he'll just get fed up with the sort of with the politics with, with Cairo and, and Bagnati and he will leave. But I think being able to win a derby will sort of just reinforces the potential that this that this team has that it's a it's a huge city where the majority of people in that city support Torino, and the as somebody who likes to sort of go around the city and go to restaurants and go to bars, I think it will sort of just reinforce what a massive club Torino are if he manages to be a coach who wins a derby. Yeah, and we've said he needs to win one of his big matches, and winning the winning the biggest match for Torino will then mean in a few weeks when we play Milan, we're we're going to feel we're going to feel a bit taller going into that game or even the week after going to Udinese who may well be in the top. We're just going to have a, we're going to have renewed confidence. Whereas if we, even if we draw, I don't think a draw is a particularly good result on, on Saturday, depending on how it, how it would materialize. But I defeat, I think a defeat would be absolutely, absolutely disastrous because we know Juventus are kind of a little bit on the ropes and then maybe they're going to be at their most dangerous on the ropes. But, um, yeah, for me, it's uh, I don't like the derby. I I really don't like Juventus, and I'm not going to be. I I hate Juventus. I I have for a long time, and kind of yeah. What I'm not a rational person when it comes to Juventus. I, I get unbalanced. I um I lose any kind of sense of uh, yeah, just being a kind of normal person. But yeah, I don't have friends of Juventus fans. I've uh, even even living in Turin, it was just there was um. Massive. I'm going to make a massive generalizations here, but there were you go to a you go out for a night out and you talk about football. You could tell the people who are going to be Juventus fans, and they weren't really into the football. They're into kind of they're into kind of what saying of being Juventus fan represented. Um, and yeah, I even go back to an anecdote when when I was at school and kind of uh, this was like early nineties, becoming a Torino fan. One of the la- my friends in class decided to become a Juventus fan. And uh, when Channel 4 was on, I remember as a derby, we drew 1-1 where the, uh, Andy Moller, the kind of the German player who, you know, after Euro 96, a lot of people in England didn't like, but he wasn't a particularly likeable player as well. Uh, he got sent off and I remember just having this argument with a lad at school how Torino couldn't beat 10-man ten, ten Juventus. It was kind of 1-1, but 
And I remember living in Turin, and I think it was the first year I was there, someone gave me a free ticket. I was too polite at the time to turn it down. It was the Real Madrid-Juventus Champions League semi-final. And I think I went because oh, if they lose, absolutely epic being here. But of course they won 3-1. Qualified. That was one of the worst nights I've ever had, just being in this stadium full of celebrating Juventus fans. But yeah, even now when I'm walking around, as a, I, I sometimes do park run and... There's, there's someone who always wears the Juventus hat at the park run and just that puts another 10 seconds on my time like right there but yeah I can't be rational about it what, sl- just, slower or quicker no uh, quicker I just like put it puts the fire in my belly oh stuff. okay but it, yeah it's I just, thought uh, you, maybe you were chasing to like take the hat off him no um, it's just like it was like there's a bit of a derby going on here but yeah no I just uh um I'll, I guess I'll, final I'll... final anecdote in the events when I worked on the football Italian magazine we I got put in a house of a, uh, another lad, Antonio Labate, who was uh, ended up. He's the one Juventus fan who's kind of ever become my friend. But I think we spent so much time together. It just, you know, he he was kind of quite a. Um, he was very into his football, but he was kind of very low key about being a Juventus fan. But um, but yeah, I've never had since then. I've never had living in Turin. I didn't have a single single Juventus fan. But I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not normal. Maybe, but. Um, but I had, yeah, I just can't just uh, everything about Agnelli and the, the kind of yeah Super League and I just what I like now is just the kind of general football fan is there's, there's a lot of kind of anti anti Juve feelings generally but yeah I'm not I I live the derby a bit too much and uh, a win would be a win for me personally as a Torino fan would be massive uh, and defeats and draws now to be honest I've had so many that don't. I'm not coming immune, immune to it, but they just don't impact me. The, the, the happiness a win is going to give it will, when it happens will be will be significant. A draw or defeat, yeah, I'm kind of it'll be another one, another stat, which and it just allows you to kind of live in that misery of being a Torino fan for another year anyway. So it's win-win um, anyway, Rob. So well, I mean that's one way to look at it. I'll exchange just a couple of quick anecdotes myself when uh, when I was away in Turin. Uh, the weekend just gone. Obviously, I met up with Mesa, who's a, a Portsmouth fan. Um, on, on the way into the ground, when I was um, enjoying it, a uh, panino, a sausage panini, and a uh, panino. Sorry, my Italian's got so bad. Well, if you had uh, two of them, you might have had two. But of them, mate, I, so. I could have had. Two, maybe, to be honest, I probably could have. Um, but yeah, so I had my had my sausage panino, had a beer, and uh, a guy came up to me, a uh, Scottish guy who goes to European games, and he was a, a Rangers fan. Um, so bear in mind that probably the three teams I have uh, affiliations with are Torino, Southampton, and Celtic. I'd, I'd already uh, met two of my rivals, but thankfully I was in Turin, so I knew there was no chance of bumping into a Juventus fan. Um, there was that, yeah. The only place in Turin where you go be cave was where they got their, that Juventus shop. You know, yeah. That was when they built that. I couldn't, I couldn't walk within like two hundred meters of that. I just had to, like, I couldn't see it. I don't want to see it. You still see a bit of uh, Garibaldi, I think it's on, but yeah, you don't. Yeah. You just see people taking photos of it, uh, and there is a photo of me and my youth um, standing outside, it possibly swearing, which I might try and dig out. Um, but yeah, I do look a little bit like a hooligan, but. It's, it's a very cold uh, winter day as well, so I've got a scarf like over my mouth. So yeah, just in case, the, just in case the, the police came over. And then the se- second anecdote was also, um, I think it was the 2019 dar- uh, derby. There was a um, public transport strike in Turin, so I had to get a taxi to the game. And the taxi driver, for whatever reason, um, 
I'm going to suggest maybe because he was a Juventus fan. Um, I was dressed in a Torino jacket or hoodie and a Torino shirt and Torino scarf, and he decided to drop me off outside um, the home end. Um, <laughs> so I then had to walk um, around the stadium uh, to get to the, the correct end. It might have been, to be honest, it could have been the 2017 one. Um, and yeah, I think it was the 2017 derby, but the, um, do you know how many people said the word to me? Zero, Rob. I'd say zero. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good guess, that one. Um, so yeah, if there's one stadium, I don't think that, I don't think you you could be doing that the other way around and you'd be in a, a Juventus shirt walking around the Maratona. Don't think you'd still have that Torino, that Juventus shirt on whilst you left, but um, we don't usually do this, but as we're coming to an end of the of the episode, what would be your starting eleven for the game on? Oh, put me on the spot, spot a bit there. I mean, yeah, the goalkeeper. <laughs> if you you're picking it, not what you'd think they'll pick. What would you pick? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd almost go with Barisha in goal at this point, but I th- uh, yeah, I, I don't got... think it. I, I don't think it matters too much, but I think Barisha in goal. I think the defense, uh, Sears and Rodriguez. Fortunately, on the right, I'm not sure who you could play. Even if I didn't want to play Gigi, I just think the balance is going to be better with him in there. I've um, I've gone for I've gone for Richard as goalkeeper, Shears and Rodriguez, and I've gone for Zima at right back rather than Gigi. I just felt Gigi maybe needs a bit of a break. If the back three, he's the one who seems to play every game this season. Yeah, um, he's the one. He's the one. Well, whisper it quite most likely to kind of make a mistake. But, yeah. Um, but I think. Uh, the, he's just probably pace and probably in terms of of balance of the defence he would be there my wing backs would be on change actually I think Aina and Lazaro uh, Voivoda I don't think is quite 100% fit if he was probably would play him uh, Singo I don't think is near the team see I've, see, I've gone I've gone the opposite I've gone Singo and Voivoda I've gone wow. Singo because I just think we need a bit of pace um, and I think maybe that the derby could be being dropped as effectively as he was against Empoli. That could maybe motivate him into into a performance and Voivoda just a little bit of balance, a little bit more defensive security, especially with Rodriguez, whose pace is always a bit of an issue. I think Voivoda on the left is always quite a good solution. Okay. I think midfield is the interesting one is does he play three? Does he well, does he play Lukic, Ricci and Linetti? Uh, I wouldn't. I'd play Lukic and Ritchie and I'd play Moranchuk um, a bit ahead of them. Um, and I'll, I'll carry on and then I'll let you kind of do your, your, your front five. And I think I'm thinking at this on the spot. Um, I would play Vlasic um, and let's say, let's say Pellegrini. I just think Pellegrini will do something. Well, Stabri keeps get, almost getting sent <clears> off as well, but I think Stabri will either get, finally get sent off or Pellegrini's going to get sent off. I can't watch Stabri again. The, um, maybe I'd start with Pellegrini. I'm not really in favour of playing the transformation, um, uh, so I think Pellegrini, Vlasic, Moranchuk as the forward line, Richie Lukic behind. Uh, yeah, I've gone Richie Lukic. I think that's self-explanatory, especially if Richie's fit enough uh, for the full game. Uh, Vlasic, I think, is a definite. And then I've gone for Radonjic. I just think he's a little bit crazy. This could work out both ways, but I think he's got maybe a little bit of extra magic. I think in a game where we might not have much of the ball, I think Radonjic is probably a better option. He's a bit quick in the Moranchuk, a little bit more uh, active. And I've gone for Pellegri as well. Uh, I just think if you think about last last season, Bremer did struggle against sort of 
um, taller strikers who maybe not the best technically. And I suppose that's a backhanded compliment to Pellegrini with that. But um, I think he might be more of a presence uh, and a focal point to, to sort of to build off than, than Sanabria, whose confidence is pretty low. And I think there was, a, there was a header in the second half against Empoli, which I think I would have scored. And, and that's definitely rubbish. But I, like, I can say that because... There's no way that anybody can is able to prove that to prove that I couldn't have done that. Um, I think I think you raised a good point on Bremer that playing he knows Sanabria, so maybe I know he knows Plague a bit bit less. He wasn't there as long last season, but yeah, so certainly I'd get get some pace if it's Bonucci and and uh, Bremer, maybe get some pace around them. And prediction? Yeah, I hate I have uh, hesitated on this. I feel like. I, predict, I, I don't know if I can force myself to predict a win. It just feels wrong. Um, predict a defeat feels wrong because I'm not bad at predictions, better than you. So if I predict a defeat, <laughs> I might go, might, might go. I just think, I don't know. I, a part of me does fancy us. I don't know why, because we're not playing that well and we're not very good at seeing off teams and we don't, we're lacking a goalkeeper and a striker, which kind of fundamental really in, in, in kind of games which are decided by moments. What? Juventus going to be on the ropes? Are they, is it going to be the kind of annoying kind of, you know, kind of one of those ones where it's a lot of Bonucci posering and posturing and, or yeah, are we going to hit them early and are they going to crumble and it'll be the end of the um, Allegri era? I really, I really don't know. Any prediction? I need to make a prediction if we promise we'll do them. I don't think it'll be a draw. I don't think it suits anyone. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of going to go one nil Torino. Uh, my my um, see, this is where now I can't lose because if I predict, well, I can lose obviously, but obviously if Torino win and I lose and you get the three points bang on for the prediction. I'm not going to care. Um, I I'm similar to you. I, I don't like predicting defeat I don't like predicting a win and to be honest with my prediction it's probably best I don't um actually it's probably best I do um I'll go I'm gonna go for a draw I'll go I I, I know it doesn't suit either but I think I, I think it stops the stops the rot a little bit for for both sides so I'll go for an entertaining draw 2-2 two, two, and maybe Torino again are the one who score late if um give a scenario, it's nil nil, it's ninety second minute, and Torino get a ninety well ninety third minute winner, and you can choose who scores it. Who would you choose? Pierskis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? I, I've asked the question without thinking about the answer. Um, <laughs> no, Il Il can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a Ferrante Ferrante <laughs> Bull celebration. Yeah, it would be like there'd be all kinds of bull of the Bosphorus kind of things, wouldn't there? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really thought that through, but um, it'd be a good time for Rodriguez to get his first Torino goal. I don't know, yeah. but um, he might finally talk. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah, it's been um, it's been uh, probably our longest pod. Yeah, so um, congratulations if you've managed to reach the whole thing. I don't think anyone listening to this will get to the end by the time we've lost the derby. <laughs> so. Uh, but anyway, yeah. it's been it's it's been it's been fun. We've got stuff off our chest. Uh Saturday will be what it will be. Let's remember Gigi Moroni. Do it for Gigi. Uh, do it for Gigi and uh Fort Totoro. Fort Totoro. <laughs>